Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. This is the most important thing, the love of God and neighbor, which is what the rules are for. The Herodians, on the other hand, as their name implies, were supporters of Herod Antipas, the Jewish political leader who collaborated with the Romans. Unlike the Zealots, who wanted to overthrow their Roman occupiers by violent force, they wanted to keep things as they were, not rock the boat. And that, if that meant compromising on a strict keeping of the Mosaic law, they were willing to do that in order to go along and get along. And Jesus correctly saw how these two groups would come together against him and warned his disciples to watch out for the contempt contaminating yeast or the teaching of the Pharisees and the followers of Herod. Well, enmity thus brought these two strange bedfellows together to rid themselves of the threat they saw in Jesus. And they thought they'd come up with a perfect solution which was to, which would get him in trouble with the people who resented Roman taxation and with the Roman government who could arrest him for sedition if he counseled people not to pay their taxes. It was a no-win situation, the perfect trap, or so they thought. And they first tried to soften Jesus up a little bit with flattery. Teacher, they addressed him, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion since you're not swayed by appearances. Now, the ironic thing, that was absolutely true. I mean, that describes Jesus to a T, doesn't it? Tell us then, they asked him, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the, the, the coin for the tax. And they produced one. And when Jesus asked, whose image and inscription are on this? They gave the right answer, Caesar's. To which Jesus replied, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. To <clears throat> Notice they didn't ask him, what are the things that are God's? They already knew the answer because the first chapter of the book of Genesis tells how people are made in the image and likeness of God and that actually everything that is has come from his created hand. So you can see why this lectionary places the gospel, this gospel reading in the fall when most churches are doing their stewardship campaigns. <laughs> but you've already heard excellent sermons on this subject by Chaplain Skip and Father Matt and Deacon Joe. And in Father Matt's sermon, he mentioned how the church needs to speak the truth about such hot button topics as money, sex, and politics. And since he and Skip and Deacon Joe dealt very effectively with the topic of money, it leaves me with sex and politics. <laughs> so I want to explore those subjects to you in the light of the W.B. Yates quote. Because groups like the Pharisees and Herodians persist in the church of our day, and neither do a good job with these topics because neither can smell the blood. Remember the quote, odor of blood when Christ was slain makes all platonic tolerance vain 
and vain, all Doric discipline. The Herodians, the Herodians in the church today are the compromisers, those who seem willing to abandon 2,000 years of Christian teaching in order to fit in more with our present culture and not make waves or rock the boat. And they sometimes try to rationalize it by saying God is doing a new thing. When the truth is, as we heard in the first sentence of our Old Testament reading, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And then that was picked up in the epistle reading where it said, because of Jesus, we're not consumed by his wrath. And then, as the Hebrews, uh, letter to the Hebrews puts it, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, Amen. forever. Well, based on scriptures such as these, former slave Frederick Douglass gave a speech at Hillsdale College in 1863 after the issuance of the Emancipation Proclamation. And it was titled, Popular Error and Unpopular Truth. And in it, he said, there's no such thing as new truth. Error might be old or new, but truth is as old as the universe. That's a great quote to remember along with the Yates quote, don't you think? Here's an example of old truth, as this church has received it, that is much, not much in vogue today. The Lambeth Conference of Anglican Bishops, meeting in the year 1830, excuse me, 1930, issued the following statement. Sexual intercourse between persons that are not legally married is a grievous sin. It went on to say that the ultimately effective motive for the maintenance of chastity before marriage can only be found in the love of God and reverence for his laws. The conference emphasized the need for strong and wise teaching to make clear the Christian standpoint in this matter. That standpoint is that all illicit and irregular unions are wrong and that they offend against the true nature of love. They compromise the future happiness of married life and they are antagonistic to the welfare of, community, of the community and above all, they're contrary to the revealed will of God. I remember a college campus magazine that put this a lot more succinctly back in the 60s when the sexual revolution was gathering steam to, to a question sent in by a student, is there any place in the Bible where fornication is considered okay? The one word answer was no. <laughs> a recent survey of Church of England clergy done by the London Times shows how far we have come from this kind of clear teaching. It found a strong desire among rank-and-file priests for significant changes in church doctrine and on issues such as sex, sexuality, marriage, and the role of women to bring it into greater conformity with public opinion. The majority of the priests wanted the church to start conducting same-sex weddings and drop its opposition to premarital and gay sex. The survey, however, was deeply flawed, and I don't put much stock in it, but at least it shows the need for clear teaching in this matter in our time. 
Now, why is it so important for the church clearly and boldly, but also humbly and lovingly to speak the truth in such matters? Because in our present culture, we can see the consequences of following the ways of God or following the ways, following the ways of the world versus following the ways of God. Today, 69% of Americans consider sex between an unmarried man and woman to be morally acceptable, and 42% believe sex between teenagers is morally acceptable. We should also note that since the sexual revolution began in the 60s, the youth suicide rate is the highest it's been since the government began collecting such data in 1960. The percentage of children born out of wedlock has escalated as well, from 8% in 1962 to 40% today. Furthermore, people who live together are more likely to break up, and usually it's the woman who's left holding the baby or babies that are formed from such liaisons. And the likelihood for such single parent families to live in poverty is high. Sexually transmitted diseases or STDs have also reached all time highs for the last six consecutive years in the US. Perhaps the most tragic consequence of those who engage in unbiblical sexual activity is the over 62 million babies who've been killed since the passage of Roe versus Wade. Since 86% of abortions are obtained by unmarried women. 62 million. That kind of holocaust rivals the number of people killed in Stalin's Russia or Mao's China. Lowering the standard or changing the rules, as the Herodians would like to do, is not a good solution to the present moral decay in our society. But neither is the self-righteous, judgmental approach of the Pharisees. Jesus' word to them is, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for neither you enter yourselves, nor are you willing, or, <coughs> nor were you to allow those who, who would enter to go in. And notice he says, enter the kingdom, not build the kingdom, as so the was the clarion call of many social reformers in the 60s. Picking yourself up by your own bootstraps is no gospel, since all have sinned and all are short, fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of Christ, that is in Christ Jesus. And that is why there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For God did not send the, his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus also teaches us not to judge not, lest we be judged, and to be sure to take care of the log that is in our own eyes before trying to take a speck out of another's eyes. And let me just say that 12-step groups do this the right way <laughs> because they recognize that they all have a dog in their eye and they've found a ways to take it out 
and so they can kneel in prayer with a person that is having the struggle and help them from, from their own experience. It seems to me we are also to avoid neglecting the weightier measures, matters of the law, such as justice and mercy, as the Pharisees tended to do, by trying to confine themselves to purely spiritual matters. One of the most popular quotes in modern times has been falsely attributed to Edmund Burke. No one has yet discovered who first said it, but the quote is, is this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. See, a war has been going on since time immemorial, a war that we're all involved in. It's a war between good and evil. In this light, the Apostle Paul counsels his fellow Christians to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not, he says, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In biblical and Christian history, we have numerous examples of how God's people have spoken truth to the powers that be. Elijah to King Ahab, Nathan to David, and John the Baptist to King Herod. William Wilberforce and the abolitionist who led the fight against slavery. And Dr. Martin Luther King who led the fight for civil rights. In these increasingly dark times in which we're living, God's people need to make their voices heard in the public square today, humbly and lovingly, but also clearly and boldly. It's wrong when feminized males are allowed to participate in women's sports. It's wrong when young children are asked what pronouns, pronouns they prefer or to have their bodies mutilated through surgery or altered through hormone treatments, in some cases irreversibly, that will affect them for the rest of their lives. In some ways, the whole transgender thing has gone to, grown to insane, even demonic proportions. Before smartphones and social media, the number of hermaphrodites and cases of gender dysphoria amounted to less than 1% of the population. Now the latter seems to have almost become a fad. Well, rather than just wringing our hands about such things, we need to consider prayerfully what we can do, individually and collectively, to stem the tide. And let me give you two encouraging examples of how a single person can make a difference. The first happened right here in Midland, Texas, in our school system. During a previous administration, it was reported that in a leaders meeting, the subject came up of a possible need to add an additional category on the school forms, which only listed male and female for sexual identification. The junior high principal spoke up and said, ma'am, with all due respect, here in West Texas, all we have are boys and girls. The meeting moved on then to the next item on the agenda. 
Here's another example of how one individual scored a tremendous victory in combating the evil of online pornography. Last year, Louisiana State Representative Laura Schlegel introduced legislation requiring websites that host pornography to perform reasonable age verification methods. <clears throat> Those wishing to address such sites were required to show a government-issued ID on an, electric, on an electronic form. Well, the bill passed the Louisiana House by a vote of 96 to 1, and the state Senate by a vote of 34 to 0. And the results have been dramatic. Not only have are now underage persons blocked from such sites, but also adults who are legally entitled to do so are not keen about having their a screenshot of their voter ID or I mean their, their driver's licenses. And according to some report, there's been an 80% drop in traffic, such traffic, and some of the websites have pulled out of Mississippi and Utah and Virginia. But fight's not over because on September 1st, a U.S. District Court blocked the Texas law requiring such age verification though a federal judge in Utah upheld their, their version. Well, Eric Metaxas, the author of the bi biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, has written a recent book entitled Letter to the American Church because he sees the silence of many American Christians in the face of the evils of the present day to be similar to the silence of many German Christians at the time of the rise of Hitler and the atrocities of the Nazis. St. Paul counsels us not to be conformed to the, this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, that by testing we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, the Pharisees and the Herodians might have been happy to fit Jesus into their agendas, but what they find is that it is they that need to fit their agendas into his. For what his answer suggests is that neither the Pharisees with their pious pretenses and self-righteous legalism, nor the Herodians with their worldly compromises were really interested in rendering to God the things that are God. Both in their way show themselves to be more interested in the kingdom of self than the kingdom of God. And entering into the kingdom of God requires a dying to self. As Bonhoeffer put it, either a man dies or else he kills Jesus. So the gospel cannot just be confined to merely spiritual matters. It has to do with all of life. And thus there has to be a connection between religious faith and politics. But it can't be that of either extreme. Because odor of blood... When Christ was slain, makes all platonic tolerance vain, and vain all Doric discipline. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.